Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Very good. Uh, as I mentioned this morning, we've been in Israel, and uh, that was a, probably a, a thing that I've wanted to do for a number of years, but never got around to doing it. But then somehow you always think the, the right time's the right time, and you go, and you get incredibly blessed, you get, and, uh, for me, provoked, a whole lot of different emotions. Uh, but out of it, something really stirred in my heart that I didn't go expecting, but came away knowing that God wanted me to speak more about the actual coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's more in the Bible about Jesus' second coming than there is his first coming. And so often it's a subject that we ignore just simply because it might be in the too hard basket, especially for preachers. You don't want to go there because you don't want to dot I's and cross T's that somehow will leave people uh, thinking that something's going to happen um, and uh, you're, you're somehow boxing God in. I don't want to do that. But I, I have called the message the, the Blessed Hope because it's very scriptural. And as you go through the Bible, you start to see so much about the return of Christ. He's coming again for a glorious church. But I'm not here to give an in-depth teaching. There's lots of good books you can read, but I am here to provoke you to think. And as I talk, I'm not here to be so pro-Jewish that they can do no wrong because they do do wrong. And, uh, but yet there's still God's hand is on the nation of Israel and we've got to honor that and see it. And that's the place where Jesus biblically says he's gonna come back again too. And we've got to have an understanding and a hope in our humanity of that return. So I want to make that clear at the start. Uh, I pray for the nation of Israel. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I've always prayed it. I don't say I'm overly diligent, but I have prayed for the peace of Jerusalem. But having now been there and seeing it as a city of turmoil, division, and hate and anger, I can now see why we're called to pray for it because there's so much tension. I went in there thinking I'd be blessed, but I came out totally annoyed. But anyhow, that's the way it goes. Um, and I just pray tonight that I can stimulate your heart. I'll give you a little bit of history, which I find a lot of Kiwis aren't familiar with, but we are very much part of the restoration of the nation of Israel, and I'll come to it and show you how biblical that is and why we need to be really, in a way, open to the season that we live in. But Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, is the scripture where we read of Jesus' ascension again into heaven. He ascends, and it just says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were looking steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, and who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This man, Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Powerful promise. What it's saying from that place, as he ascended, he will come again. And if you go into the book of Revelation, chapter one, verse seven, again, just talking about this, behold, he is coming with a cloud and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him 
and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And so again, just a, a promise. As I said, I'm not here to give you an in-depth teacher teaching. I'm not, that's not my, my gifting, but I'm here to provoke you. Amen? Uh, to stimulate you to think, to really look into the Bible and start to see many of the things that are, are there for us to take hold of. But just a little bit of history, and I, I don't want to bore you with history, but it's important to, to, to see the importance of the place where today they, they have the, the Dome of the Rock is established where the Muslims have established their identity in Jerusalem. But if you go back in history, that was the place where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. That was the place called Mount Moriah. So it's always in God's economy had an important place. It's an important place in history. If you go on through, through history, it was the place where David... And then Solomon built the temple on that spot, that exact spot. But because of the, 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 um, the rebellion of the children of Israel, you have what I call the Boams, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, who really went against their, their, their forefathers and established idols. And out of that, you, you, you see through the Bible. It's a story, it's a bit of a gory story, but you actually see what happens, that God was warning them, warning them, warning them. If you don't turn back to me, if you don't remove the idols, so true of a nation, if we don't remove idols that have been established, God will ultimately, he will ultimately judge. And he judged by bringing the Babylonians in under Nebuchadnezzar, and they virtually wiped out the temple that Solomon had built. And it was a glorious temple. And they went into captivity, the Bible says, for 70 years. And then under a man by the name of Zerubbabel, they came again and they built a second temple. And if you know, read through the Bible, they used the man by the name of Nehemiah. It's where you get the book of Nehemiah, Ezra, those books in the Bible, to reestablish what is known as the second temple. It wasn't as glorious, they say, as the first but it was a place where the, the, the Jews came and they worshipped. Jesus was lifted up. That was the place where Jesus, he, he visited. He visited this temple. It was extended, extended under the reign of Herod, but this is where Jesus came, where he talked, where he, he uh, got rid of all the money changes, all that. That was that temple. But then the Jews rose up against the Romans because they'd come in and taken place in Jerusalem and established, uh, trying to establish the Roman Empire. And so they wanted to revolt against them, but sadly they were overpowered. And in 70 AD, they virtually flattened the temple and it was destroyed. And in that place, Caesar established, I've forgotten the name of the person, but he established a, a ju ju juniper god right on that temple. So you go back to Abraham, you come to David and Solomon, and you come right up to Zerubbabel, Nehemiah, what they built, established, and it goes exactly on the same spot. Then you go through history, and this is where the, 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 uh, after Muhammad in the 600 AD, he, 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 was, uh, had his, he was born, had his reign, and then the Dome of the Rock was built not long after him to establish the Islamic uh, authority, and, and that sits there today. And so you've got a little bit of history. And uh, what, what we need to see is that throughout history, God, uh, people have sought, uh, Israel has been a place of division. It's been a place of conflict. 
and without going right into the Crusaders and all that, uh, right up to about 1500 AD, uh, it was dominated by different groups, but then the Turks came in, say Turks. And it's important, this is an important part to understand. The Turks came in, they actually gave freedom for Christians to actually come back into Jerusalem. Uh, even though they were, they were Muslim, even though they were uh, there, they were dominating, but they created a window of freedom. But in the year, which is so important, 1917, 100 years ago, on October the 31st, something significant happened. So I'm not sure whether it will be celebrated in New Zealand, but I, 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 because I think there's such political division around it. But in 1917, after we talk about the Gallipoli defeat, which for some reason we highlight more, which was actually a defeat by the Turks, the Anzacs actually came into Gaza and started to take over the nation of Israel, or what we know as Israel today, Palestine became called, they actually, they actually pushed the Turkish army, uh, the Turkish people, right out of what we see as Israel, right up into Syria. So the Anzacs, with the British, but the Anzacs, modern-day Tel Aviv, was taken over by the Anzacs in 1917, 1918. And modern day Israel would not exist if it wasn't for the Anzacs going in and fighting. And actually in one place they defeated, uh, they were defeated by the Turks, but in another place we never celebrate, but we overpowered the Turks. And that's why today it was then called Palestine, but then in 1948 became the nation of Israel again. And this is such an important part of what God is doing to restore. God is restoring this nation. He said they would be scattered to the nations of the world, but then at the end, when the end would draw near, they would gather again. They would come back to this nation. They've been scattered. They are one group of people, even though they have been scattered for uh, uh, year after year, uh, century after century, they never lost their identity. Whereas they say most people who move into another culture, and we see that in New Zealand, they lose their identity within to four to five generations, but the Jewish people have never lost their identity over hundreds and hundreds of years. And then God, through this event, started drawing them back in to what was then called Palestine. But 1917, I'm watching in, the, in, in, the, in my diary, October the 31st, to see whether we acknowledge it again in New Zealand. But it was a great, great victory. And if you go into Israel today, modern day Israel, just outside Tel Aviv, they celebrate what the Anzacs did. They've got a special place. And so we need to understand that. But then going on right up into the Second World War, where uh, the Anzacs were again responsible, and I'm not sure whether you've heard of the Battle of Alamein, but that's where Rommel, uh, the great uh, Hitler's great German um, General, he was trying to, his aim was actually to penetrate uh, and defeat uh, the people who were controlling the Suez Canal. 
because he wanted control. He wanted control of the Suez Canal. But the aim was, if you know, and we know in our history, that he wanted to annihilate the Jews. And if he could get the Suez Canal, he was actually going to come back into Israel and destroy the Jewish community off the face of the earth. That was his aim. But if you understand again history, who was in the Battle of Alamein? <laughs> the Anzacs. And they helped defeat Rommel so that he was not able to do what his plan was. And then you go through and you read a little bit more of history is that the British backed out of Israel or Palestine in those days in 1947, thinking they'll never survive, that the Arab nations of the world would take control of them. But in 1948, May 1948, Israel was birthed as a nation again. And historians, people around the world would say that that is an absolute miracle. It should have never happened. And if you understand this history, this is all part of biblical promises being fulfilled that before, because before Jesus can come again, Israel or the Jews must come back to the nation of Israel. They must be established in that nation. And it says in the Bible, when you see these things happen, when you see these things happen, lift up your head. Come on, lift up your head. When you see these things happen. I was born in 1948. It says in that generation, Jesus will return. I'm waiting. Amen. I'm not putting dates on it, as you know. And then in 1967, another significant battle took place, which is known as the Seven Day War, where they came in and they took control of Jerusalem again. And they are significant dates in the biblical calendar. And I just wanted to present that to you today. Number one, because when I started to hear and read some history, I started to lift up my heart, my heart, and think, wow, New Zealand. Come on, New Zealand, Australia. We are part of the restoration of modern Israel. Amen? Now, a lot of people who are not godly, don't like that. And that's why I don't think we celebrate it. Because they're more pro-Palestine than they are Israel and the promises of God. And so they actually probably see what's happened as wrong. Whereas if you understand biblical history, you see this as God. Amen? And that's why we've got to get the God factor into our heart. And I'm not condoning Jewish behavior, but I can see the hand of God working. One of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible is, is Matthew 24 when it comes to reading a concise description of the return of Jesus. And it's 1 chapter 24, Matthew 24 and 25. And it's one that I think we should all read. And I remember hearing Bill Johnson speak and he's a great uh, person on the kingdom of God and seeing God manifest. But he said, if you look at what's happening around the world, a man who's well-traveled, he said, when you look at what's happening around the world, he said, it's really not a good time to consider backsliding <laughs> because there's so many signs that would pro pro project towards the coming of Jesus. And uh, Jesus is talking, uh, he was alive about the destruction in the first few verses, the destruction of Jerusalem, and that took place in AD 70. But then you go on down, I think it's around about verse 3. I haven't got the verses here. Then I just want to read this passage of Scripture. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? 
And what will be the signs of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said, take heed that no one deceive you. For many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ and will deceive many. You know, it's interesting that in, in Israel, just out of Jerusalem, they've got a psychiatric hospital for all the people who come to Israel claiming they're either Jesus, Elijah, Elisha, one of the two witnesses, and they're all taken to a psychiatric hospital because they're nutters. And, uh, you know, here's the scripture. Jesus said it'll happen. But it's costing the Israel government a whole lot of money to look after the nutters who come into the country proclaiming who they are, that they're Jesus and so on. Just a little bit of useless information. I am the Christ. Will deceive many. And there will be wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. And these are but the beginnings of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because of lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow, grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved and this gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. And one of the reasons why we probably can say that Jesus is not coming tomorrow morning is the gospel hasn't yet been preached in all nations. And the church has a major responsibility to rise up and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. But if you take the year 2000 up to 2017, in my lifetime, I don't think I've seen such a turbulent point in, in, in my lifetime. You know, from the beginning, I'm not sure uh, how many can remember the 2000, I think it was Boxing Day, the, the uh, earthquakes around Jakarta uh, in the Pacific, uh, in that region, not Pacific, and then the tsunamis and the, the, the I, I can't remember the death count, but it was phenomenal. Even Kiwis, people who were killed uh, on holidays. Then you go into 9-11, you know, you're going right through the history, uh, just even in your own city, you know, that the, the, the what has happened is, is, is something that's happening, it's unnerving. Uh, I, I think I've been in over 60 different nations and my observation around the world is it's almost like we're in a tailspin. We're going down. And it doesn't matter what politicians will state, the social climate in the world is, is in a tailspin, is caving in quickly. And we try and put Band-Aids on it, but will those Band-Aids fix it? I don't know. I probably don't think so. But I do think it's time for the church to really rise up and be the church, and be the social barometer society. It's not, not time for us to back off and get into our little, uh, little uh, shelter places with our water and our, 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 all our, our food and everything, you know, so we're protected because Jesus, no, no, it's a time to advance. It's time to advance. It's time to actually get a little bit more indignant and a little bit aggressive because we actually discern the times and the seasons. Just going down one other part, and you might, might like to read it all yourself, but then it goes on and talks about the parable of the fig tree. It says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. 
When its branches are already become tender and put forth its least, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things, know that it is near at the door. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. Most commentators or most people who understand say that's talking about Israel. When you see Israel, it's tender shoots, starting to shoot again. Beware, the season is nigh. In that generation, in that generation, be ready. We live in that generation. We live in a generation where the miracle, 1900 years, the Jews were scattered all throughout the earth under the oppression of the Jewish nation or culture, seven million people annihilated by, by Hitler. I was uh, just decided last night, just because of my, my interest, I watched the movie The Pianist. Has anyone, it's the second time I've watched it, but I watched it again. You know, I think five million Polish Jews were wiped out. They don't exist anymore. Five million. But a great movie, a, 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 a movie that somehow just puts a little bit of somber in your heart. Uh, and I think we need to see that. But out of it, the Jews had nowhere else to go. The Jews who were able to escape, they had nowhere else to go but to go home. And they created the kibbutzes and all that in Israel for them to come home to. And so God was actually, God was, even though on one side the devil was ripping them out, taking their lives, but on another side God was bringing a remnant back to Israel to actually establish a nature, a nation again, which is on his heart. When you see these things, when the branches are already become tender and puts forth its leaf, modern day Israel is a prosperous nation. It's a nation that is small, but how it survives within a corrupt region is absolutely a miracle. Then you go on into chapter 25, and this is preachable, I'm not gonna preach it, but it's good to read it, is the, is the parable of the 10 virgins. And it just says five of them were, had their lamps prepared. They had oil. They trimmed their lamps. Five were a bit sort of, oh, she'll be right. You know, I've heard this stuff before. We don't really need to live prepared. But then one day, just suddenly, something happens. And the five virgins who are prepared got their lamps burning, are living in a dynamic relationship with Jesus. Holy Spirit is very present in their life. They really don't know how to respond. But the other five are caught unaware. And it is, in a way, a challenge to you and I to keep our spirit in a place of preparation. That's my, my I, I'm provoked. I want to provoke you. <laughs> when I get provoked, I love provoking others, amen? <laughs> because I think we just need to, to, come on, live with that understanding. And so I've just developed four things from the Bible and I'll enlarge as we go through on the word hope. Because I believe the second coming of Jesus is not fear. It's hope. Come on, it's hope. We, we should live. When you hear history, it should put hope in your heart. 
Why? Because the Word of God has been fulfilled in our presence. This is not to dive into a cave or get a farm with a big wall around it and live in isolation and protected from everyone else. No, no, this is a time of hope. This is a time where we present ourselves in a real positive way. And uh, so I, uh, number one, just uh, when I outline how I see it, is I, I want to live with hope. I'm living with hope. I'm not in despair. I'm not living as though, uh, I, I'm not living as though I'm going to go tomorrow, but I'm prepared as though I might. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> but I'm living with hope. I'm living with an expectation that I live in the most dynamic time of history. I'm living with that hope in my heart, and I want to proclaim to a broken humanity that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's real, and He's coming again, and He's coming again for a church that's open, alive, that's ready, and we need that hope within us. And I like the way John wrote it in the epistle, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it does not know Him. And that is so true. The world is struggling to work out God. They're trying to work out a world without God, but they struggle. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And it goes on, it says, and everyone who has this, come on, has this hope, purifies himself just as He is pure. In a way, we don't live with fear of isolation, but we live with a healthy fear of God that puts confidence in our heart and puts a relationship, our relationship with Christ in a dynamic position. Amen? We're living with hope. Because we're living with that hope in our heart, we watch how we, we do life. We watch how we live life. I enjoy life. I, I enjoy going away with my family. I enjoy fishing, as you know. I enjoy holidaying with my wife. So I enjoy life. I, I, I love laughing. I love having a good time. I love annoying people. I love teasing people. I love all those things. They're all part of who I am. I love going up to young men and giving them a punch in the arm and giving them a dead arm in the foyer in Auckland because they're too scared to give me one back. <laughs> so I love all that. I think life is fun. I'm not talking about serious. I'm talking about, but, but come on, there is something about it. There's a focus. And one thing I learned, which I, I understood a little, but was provoked. You know, one of the great symbols of the Christian church, early Christian church, was the fish. But the most powerful symbol, or the first symbol, was an anchor. It wasn't the fish. It was the anchor. And what it symbolized was that Christians live with an anchor of hope. Doesn't matter what's happening in the world, they live with an, an, uh, an anchor of hope. Faith sees and knows what tomorrow's going to be. Hope has an expectation of always something good. It's like an anchor. And, uh, 
you know, we were going over the Auckland Harbour Bridge not long after we had arrived in Auckland 30-something years ago, and my wife can be very cute at times. And she just made this statement. She says, oh, look, all the, boat, but all the noses of the boats are pointing the same way. I said, don't you know <laughs> that they have an anchor? <laughs> and whichever way the tide is turning, they will, t they will turn to face the tide. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> but all their noses are pointing the same way. And I thought, in a way, that's quite a provocative statement by my wife because all Christians' noses should point the same way because they've got an anchor down. It's called an anchor of hope. Amen. And when the tide turns, come on, we don't let the tide corrupt us. We just put the anchor down and we say, no, no, we're facing this because we've got hope. Come on. Are you with me? I'm preaching to you. Come on, we've got, we've got hope in our heart. We can face our tomorrow because we know what tomorrow is about and we put the anchor down. Why? Because we've got hope in our heart. And I believe that right now God is building the church to a place where they understand uh, just that, that sense. Wow, we don't need to get under it. Come on, pray for our government. But the government is not going to change a broken humanity. Because the, the, because the government can never change the heart. Only Jesus can change the heart. And that's why we've got to proclaim this amazing gospel because it's a gospel of hope. And as the time draws near, we need, to, we need to know more about it. The second point is understanding with hope. So live with hope. Live with Christ. Live with your heart set on Christ and his kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. If you're, if you're a businessman, come on, get wealthy, but for the sake of the kingdom. If, you, if you're a student, come on, get, get qualified, but do it for the sake of the kingdom. If you're here tonight and you're having children, come on, still have children, but do it for the sake of the kingdom. Bring your, bring your children up in a kingly, godly environment. Come on, do it for the sake of the kingdom. Live for the kingdom. Live with hope in your heart. The second thing is understanding with hope. When you understand with hope, you're aware of the environment around you. Don't just walk with your blinds down. Come on, have an understanding. Look at the signs that are happening. Understand that we live in a turbulent world. But have understanding with hope. Will we change that? I don't know. I don't probably think so. I might be proven wrong. But the world, when you have understanding, you look at the signs, you look at all the things through the Bible. You know, you look at the dreams. I, I, I often have stopped to think of the dreams that people like Daniel had. How would you, if you had a dream in Daniel's day and you saw a helicopter, how would you explain it? How would you explain a tank? of you in Daniel's day. You, you think, and these guys were seeing horrific things that were pertaining to the end of the world, but we don't stop to think what they were seeing, and they're trying to explain it. Amen? They're trying to explain it. But they're seeing something that pertains to the end of time. We need to, 
you need to understand. The Bible says the sons of Issachar understood the times and the seasons that they were living in. I, I just want to put into your heart, come on, understand the times and the seasons we are living in. Don't be ignorant. Don't go through life thinking that I don't need to worry about this because one day you might just have your lamp, but it's not trimmed. You're not ready. You're not waiting. And I believe we need an understanding. That's simply why I'm doing that. I'm not the greatest Bible scholar. Don't even intend to be, but boy, I'm provoking you to think. Come on, read. Get some information. Don't form fixed ideas. Some people are premillennials. Some people are amillennials. I don't know what I am. <laughs> I'll be honest, I just don't know. But I'm definitely waiting for him to come. <laughs> Amen? Do you hear me? I don't know where I am. If you've boxed in in that area, praise God, I'm not going to judge it, but I'm just letting you know I don't know. I think I understand some of it. But what I, what I do want is I want to be aware of the seasons. I'm going to come on to that a little wee bit more as we go through, just as we finish. But have an understanding. The second thing is working with hope. Don't just live with hope. Don't just understand with hope, but work with hope. Because it just says, lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the nations as a witness of all, a witness to all the nations that the end will come. That's why we work. That's why as preachers we preach what we preach. We have Binu who we developed a good friendship relationship with, and he lives in, in um, Calcutta. And he, he told me something that just made me think. He said, if you take Calcutta, and good for you to look on a map, he said, with an hour the most, an hour and 20-minute flights, you can go from Calcutta to Nepal, Bangladesh, Bhutan. He said, in a region with flights out of Calcutta, in that region, there's 1.1 billion people. 1.1 billion people. And if you know anything about that region, it's known as the 1040 window. It has the most unreached people groups in the world. 1.1 billion people. And we talk about our little nation. But we've got a responsibility. The older I get, the more I see what I do. I believe we can win nations. I believe we can take nations. But what we need is men and women who will rise up with a kingdom understanding and live with the knowledge that Jesus is wanting to put in our heart. This is not, this is not a time to play church. This is not a time to just live your life in cruise mode. And as I said this morning, just enjoying the church gig on Sunday, this is the time to get the kingdom message in your heart. How many are on Facebook? How many 18 months ago saw 12 Egyptian young men lined up in front of ISIS guys with bags over their head? How many saw that? And they were asked, will you deny the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledge Muhammad? 
And everyone said, no, no, I will never deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And those 12 young men all had their heads chopped off. I've got a friend who lives in Cairo. She told me she went to visit every one of those homes of those young men, thinking she'd find in those homes people who were despairing. But she said she went into every home wanting to encourage, but came out of every home encouraged. Because these men knew what they were living for and they were prepared to die for it. And all, every, everyone without exception, she told me, and this is a true story, she told me straight up front. She said, everyone without exception, every home stood there and said, we feel honoured. That our sons would not cave in under pressure and that they would owe Jesus even when they were faced with death. Do you know what the Chinese Christians say right now? We're we're probably the only group of people that can take the Arab nations because we're the only ones who are prepared to lay down our life for the cause of Christ. I think we need to get a greater sense of conviction in our heart. We need to get a greater sense of what God's called us to do. Christianity, yeah, it's it's a wonderful wonderful opportunity to know when we die we go to heaven and I love that I love taking the funeral of someone who's died with Christ in their life I've taken funerals where people haven't known Jesus and they're the most difficult funerals you can never navigate yourself through but to take the funeral of someone who's loved Jesus there's hope but our role is to work Amen Why we're on earth, why we can breathe, we're called to work. We're called to present this gospel. And finally, number four, staying true to hope. Staying true to hope. Don't let hope disappear. I want to read the scripture, which where the anchor comes from, it just says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, it says, this hope we have as an anchor of our soul both sure and steadfast, which entered the presence of God behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, Jesus, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Basically just saying, come on, this this hope, it's like an anchor, keeps you sure, keeps you focused. I think Christians will find it more difficult. I think our faith will be challenged. I think we should pray for our country that we have peace and we don't get persecuted, but I'm not sure whether that's what's going to happen or not. I don't know, but let's pray. Because it's not time to cave in. It's time to stand up. Not to be arrogant, but to preach a gospel which still has the most profound impact on humanity that anything else can have. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the redeemer of mankind, the one who's merciful, the one who's truthful. A couple of things just to conclude. And as I said, I just want to stimulate you, provoke you to think. How many news has the Anzacs removed the Turks 
from modern day Palestine. How many know? Not many people do. I'm watching the calendar on October the 21st, 31st to see whether it's acknowledged or not. Because in Israel it will be. Because they know who, paid, who laid down their life. Two things moved me really profoundly. One was going out in a sort of like a fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee. And there was a guy up the front who was a sincere believer. And he said, this is just a worship experience. It's not about information. And as he went out, we went out, he had a guitar and he just started to sing. He started to sing some of the songs that you and I know. It's a beautiful day and you looked out over the beach. I'd already been to places where Jesus had restored Peter and some of the places I could see up on the mountain, the mountain where the Beatitudes were taught. Over the other side, knowing that that's where the demonic man faced Jesus as he got out of the boat. So you're sort of starting to bring all these things. To, but as he sung, even the song we sing this beautiful name, he sung it. I just couldn't help it. I just cried. Moved my spirit. Here I was in an atmosphere that 2,000 years ago, the Saviour of humanity was equipping, training a group of men who would change the world. Touched my soul. The other thing that touched my soul, Jerusalem as a city didn't. I loved its history. It didn't do a lot for me. It annoyed me. Because I saw the factions. I saw the tension. I saw the anger. Then we came out of Jerusalem. We came through what is known as the Gate of Triumph. And for us, I don't know. They say it's not always open. But there was a gate for me to walk. And we walked along. No one else was there. But we walked along past graveyards of of Muslims right up to what is known as the East Gate, the Golden Gate. And I eventually went up and touched the Golden Gate. And then we went from the Golden Gate, we went over and we went up on the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives is where the scripture I read from the beginning where Jesus ascended. At the bottom of it, you've got the Garden of Gethsemane, you've got all these significant places. But I stood on the Mount of Olives. As I looked down into what is known as the Kidron Valley. And the battle will be so harsh that the Bible says blood will be running so deep it will be up to the horse's bridle. At that moment, Jesus will come again. And He will come on the Mount of Olives and I don't know what that would look like. But he will come. He will come down off the Mount of Olives. And he will come to the this gate that's been sealed. It's one gate that's been sealed around the city of Jerusalem. It's a scripture that just came to my mind. I've often thought of it, and some commentaries would say it talks about David when he came 
with the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. But I think it's also prophetic about the coming of Jesus. It's found in Psalm 24, verses 7 to 10. And I can imagine this, and I just stood on that mountain looking over to the golden gate and imagine Jesus coming. And he calls out, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. The gatekeepers respond. And they say, Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. The gatekeepers respond again and they say, Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And I somehow just felt more about the future than I felt about history, the present, but what is to come. And I believe that. The same place, Jesus will come again. He will come with a glorious church, a bride that has been prepared for Him, the church. The church of the living God. And I pray something in your spirit. Lift up your head with hope. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 